Okay. So what did you guys talk about last week? John. First John. Chapter. Okay. Chapter. That one. It was like three or four. Uh, I think it was four. <laughs> Somebody else tell me about any of those types of love. Um, they mostly originated in Germany. Greece. Greece. Well, they didn't originate, but they were defined yeah, those words by the Greeks. From Greece. Okay. Agape means love for everyone. Yes. Okay. Selfless love. That's not what I learned in English. Though. I'm in his English class and that okay. is Okay. So, and then there's Eros, which is sexual love, I think. Yes, sadly, that is. Erotic. Eros. Same root. There's a brotherly love. Yes. And then there's a love that, like, you wouldn't love your family, you would, like, love a donut. There's a love. Oh. Yes. <clears throat> okay. And oh yeah, brotherly love. The city of brotherly love. Technically, if you transact the name, it's simply. Okay, Felicia, you need to turn your game off, please. So, why did you guys talk about all those types of love? What is that? Why do we care? Because God's love is the highest love, and we need to have all the loves to achieve God's love. Okay. Because God loves everyone, and our word for love is not right, because it covers all that. But in... Originally, the New Testament was written in Greek, so they had all those different types of love all throughout them. Right. But when it was translated into English, some of that was lost because we just translated it all into love. Oh, right. Because we don't have a word. And God's love is a God they love, which means selfless love. I have mom to say. Okay. Anything else? Does anyone have anything else? Satisfied with that? Okay, that's pretty good. I'm quite impressed. Oh, I did have it written down, Audrey. It is 4, verse 8, 18, and 19. I don't know. I have to look at it. Is it C period? Yep. Uh, probably colonies. 
is what it stands for. You know, like England, Great Britain had a bunch of colonies. Uh, no, it's abbreviated. Great Britain, France, and Ireland. Right, and then colonies all, uh, would be Prince like... James before he became King James. Yes. Okay, that is a whole other topic that maybe we will study another time. Um, so we're going to continue on our short series about the love of God. And we're going to turn to John chapter 13. Verse 34 and 35. Yes, the Gospel of John. Oh, okay. There is no 1st John, 2nd John, 3rd John, 13. Saint John. If you have. Good. Okay. Yeah. 1334 through 35. Oh, do you want us to start reading? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have loved one to another. Okay. <coughs> Anybody have red letters? Yeah. Okay, what does that tell you? Um, Jesus said this. Okay, so Jesus said this. <coughs> and what is he, he giving us? Advice. A no. Order. A new commandment. A commandment, right? It's a rule, right, you could say. A rule to love. A rule to love how? Not, wait, define it more than God. What's it say? It tells you right there. Jesus said it. it as he loves us. At, right. So as Jesus loved you. So, how did Jesus show his love to us? He died on In us. its most potent form. He died on the cross. Yes. I know. I was finishing my question, though. So you understood the answer fully. It's kind of like Jeopardy. You have to have the full question to understand sometimes, right? Or the full answer. Uh, you have to have both. Maybe. So I want you to flip back to John chapter 3. You probably don't even need to turn there. Does everybody have John 3.16 memorized? No. no. Probably, but I don't know what it is. Really? Oh, yeah. God so loved yeah. the world that he gave yeah. his only begotten whoever that whoever so believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Yes, okay. Um... <clears throat> So you all know that verse. You've probably heard it many times. It's probably besides 
the 23rd Psalm, which you all know what that is now, right? Oh, that's the one that we did for the youth retreat, right? No, it's no. not. I can't remember. We spent like go back. So we yeah, spent a lot of weeks on time on this. Right, the Lord is my shepherd. Oh, I shall not. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He forgot that part. Yep. It's okay. My rod and my staff. So, so besides. That whole psalm, this is probably the next most famous verse in the Bible. Why is it so famous and so quoted by people? Because it's important. Because it's read in here, so it's basically... Okay, that's, that is a good observation because Jesus said it. That naturally makes it important. It like, gives like, hope to humanity to be able to uh, get into Okay. You know, like it, it's how like about a hopeful verse because God loved us? Like it feels that void. It's Salvation message, right? Yeah. In one verse, it explains why we have the Bible in the first place. Because it's all about Jesus and He, Him sacrificing Himself for us. And why does he do that? What's his motivation? Because he loved us. Because he loved us, right? It's right there in the first verse. All right. Now, I said that this is the way, the most, the time at which Jesus' love is most potent. What does that mean? What does potent mean? Oh, like very strong. Very strong. What's potent usually used for? What are you talking about? A smell? Yep. Or what else maybe? Usually smell. A taste, which as I'm sure all of you know, your taste and smell are linked sensation-wise, right? Do you all know that? Yes. If you can't smell very good, taste isn't as strong for you. Did you know that? I knew a girl. She was like a grade ahead of me. She couldn't smell. So she just didn't taste anything? I guess she did. I mean, she liked Is that why things. you plug your nose? When you yes, that is why people will plug their nose <laughs> oh. to eat something they don't like. That doesn't work. I my nose and taste the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can. Yeah. It's probably if you've never tasted anything. Mm, maybe. And I'm sure just like taste is different for everyone. And the, like. Or if you don't know Yes. So, potent. Um, <clears throat> have you ever seen um, videos of the world's strongest men or yes. women competition? Have you ever yeah, seen so those? When, uh, so yeah. A man became a trans woman just to beat their ex in the competitions. Oh, we're not talking about that, though. So I'm talking about the actual, just the competition part. We're talking about those guys in the green room who throw barrels like over fences. Yes, they do that. They do stuff like they pull cars like oh, yeah, I've seen that. many distances. It's really unorthodox. It's not like you lift weights. It's like you throw these big things up. Yeah, they have all, well, they have all kinds of things. Like sometimes they, they have like those, have you ever seen the Atlas stones? They're basically a big, perfectly smooth ball of concrete. 
and they have like different size ones where the guys have to like lift them up and then they have to put them on top of like a podium like this but it's like at their chest level and they get heart bigger each time they have to like carry logs and all this kinds of stuff and if you're if you are picturing somebody from like a bodybuilder competition that is not what they look like really they look nothing like um, some of them are. It, they range, okay? Some of them are but, really skinny sometimes. No, none of them are skinny. Nobody is skinny in this competition. I would say if you, I would say they they look like you guys all know Dominic. Yeah. DiGiulio. They look like Dominic DiGiulio is what a lot of them look like. Well, he can lift very 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 heavy things okay he that he is built for that kind of stuff okay so how do you think they get ready to Practice. compete they eat a lot they do eat a lot they, they, they have a specific diets they don't stretch they'll, they'll pull a muscle yes they stretch what else what did you say practice practice right so they practice all these events Right, because you don't want to just show up and never have, having done something before. What else do you think they do? Exercise, right? Exercise. <laughs> they do that. Um, now, they have very, very difficult tasks to do, and for most people, these tasks are impossible. They are, they are like the one percent of people that can actually do this kind of stuff. We just talked about them, like pulling a car. Pulling a car. I mean, with a rope one, attached to it. There was this one kid who pulled a bus. They have done that before. I think I've seen that one. Um, so, sometimes though, there is one last thing that they do before they go to lift something heavy. And when I say the last thing they do, I mean they're about to lift it, and somebody takes this little. Oh, they're supposed to try and like knock it out of their hands? Nope. Mm -hmm. Trying to remember what they do. Because I haven't watched these competitions in a while. They take a little vial and they smell it. Oh! They smell like, oh, smelling they're salt. smelling salts. Oh my gosh, that's Abby that, did that at work. Yeah, it's not the kind of thing where they do it to wake you up when you're passed out. They do use it for that. But and this stuff is particularly smelly. It's supposed to make them drop that. You might out. say that it is potent. Very, very po It is. It's I've never to smelled make it them before. Drop when they're holding and go. Ew. No, it's supposed to make them be like, like just adrenaline. like have them all of a sudden have high intensity to be like oh. whoa, and then just do it like give them that extra burst that extra energy and like ah That's and i'm gonna do it it does apparently i mean I, well because they're in the moment it's, it's like you said you're to get your adrenaline going yes very chemically burning like, but it doesn't like smell like anything yeah <clears throat> so, I talk about that because you probably pictured other things that are potent. Probably a lot of bad things, right? So I pictured gym Oh, vinegar, right? That kind burn your nostrils, oh, right, vinegar. if you smell it. Um, 
by bringing this up to say that Jesus' love is very potent, right? And <clears throat> if you were to take a, just a picture, it's, this obviously isn't a real thing, but if you picture if you took a very small drop of Jesus' love and dropped it in something as large as the ocean, it would be able to flavor the whole thing. That'd be really weird. Yes, but it's to give you an idea of how little that it takes. And so what is the best expression then of his love? Yes, the most potent. <laughs> What's the best expression of his love? When Jesus died on the cross. When he died on the cross. Okay. Why it it is the ultimate selfless act as what? It's the ultimate selfless act as a as a human oh. could do. <clears throat> uh, maybe it is for any creature ever, but we have such a small window of observation of all that exists, that that's what we know. And that's why Jesus became a human and chose the selfless act that he did, part of it. So giving up your life for another person is the most selfless act that you can do. Does everyone agree? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> why do you agree? Why do you think that's true? Because you're not, like, giving anything in return. Like, you're literally giving your, like, in the most literal sense, giving your whole self. Okay, good. You're going to be self. You're on, you're, you're on the track. What'd you say, Gideon? Your life is the most valuable thing you have, and you got rid of it for someone else. Well, yes, you can't get it back, right? Once it's gone, it's gone. You don't get a second chance. <laughs> It's not a game. There's no restart or extra life. Now, <clears throat> is Jesus the only person who has ever done that for another person? Okay. So what else? Who else does it? Elise, who else has ever given up? Or what type of person or... People die all the time, right? Everyone dies. There's been millions of deaths. What's another death that was a selfless act where they died for somebody else? Jesus. Other than Jesus. Hold on. Can you think of somebody else? Or an occupation, maybe. Oh. A job. Oh. Somebody helpful. Okay, secret service. That's good. Everyone knows what the secret service is. The policemen, like fire department, they have to run in there. Right, they protect the president. Right. There's a fire department, the police department. Okay, good. Firemen. Now, they don't always do that, but sometimes that is the result, right? They are literally trying to save someone else from death, and they die trying. The or they accomplish it. 
Okay, soldiers. Now, sometimes it's not always um, to save someone else, right? Yeah, that is true. But right, they're they're bad soldiers, right? So not always. Usually, firemen generally they're doing it for selfless reasons, right? Some of them, it's a job, but it's still a risky job. Police, right? Mm -hmm. Not all policemen. Right, but most, as, as a general rule, yes. Would um, the first responders, like people who ride in the ambulance, would that count? Because they're yeah, getting really like fast. an EMT or yeah, something. Like an EMT. Yes. Christian Myers. That's kind of. Okay. I mean, I will agree with you on that. That, but that's like a different. There's an added complexity to that, right? Organ donors are already dead. Yes, that would not. Yes, but they didn't do. They didn't lose their life to donate that. This one girl, her best friend okay. was sick, and she jumped off the building so that her best friend could have her heart so she could live. Well, that is a interesting situation. Um, so we have quite a few other people that have done this. And then you could probably, there's a lot of, um, like, specific people that you could talk about, right? Yeah, there was this one guy who jumped in front of a car to save his son, but they both wound up dead. Literally trying to get the son Okay, away. right, you've probably seen that before, too, where people, like, jump on a train track to pull somebody off to save them. Mm -hmm. So there's very specific individual stories. Yeah, Okay, we don't need to go through all of them because we need to. Okay, so there's ones where they save multiple people. That's good. Let's go. Let's go to John, the Gospel of John, still. Fifteen thirteen. Okay, again, these are red letters, what Jesus said. So even Jesus defined this as the greatest um, love that you can have for someone, to give up your life for someone else. Um, now, we hold, as a society, as human beings, we hold that kind of sacrifice in high regard. What's it mean to hold something in high regard? Natalia. If you hold something in high regard. Okay, that's close. Uh, you value it. You might say it means something to you, right? That's what you're trying to say. Okay. So, if somebody then think about um, what do we do sometimes when somebody sacrifices their life for someone else after they've died? 
It's over. We do memorials, right? Maybe not so much the Secret Service because they are supposed to be, um, you don't know who, their, their names aren't out there. They're kind of a... But what about the family members? <laughs> yeah. They have a child and a wife or a husband. And a child. Yeah, and a lot of times what is done is people do anything that they can to help those people after the fact because they they we recognize what a great sacrifice they made by that spouse having sacrificed themselves right having done that so we honor people in those positions so back to what you guys said about why giving up your life for someone else is seen as the ultimate selfless act. Is there ever even the smallest ulterior motive? Maybe just a little bit. I mean, there was this one guy who saved a girl because he like set the whole thing up. He just did Okay, that's a whole different thing. Let's think about soldiers. Do you think that some of their motivation for it, and it's not a bad thing, it's not to say it's bad. Okay, that would be, that would be a little bit towards the, we don't hold it as honorable, right? Yeah. But there is a certain level of honor. Like in the back of your mind, like, I know, like, of some people that, for glory, like maybe. For the glory and the glory. Okay. The like, right. Yeah. Like the free college and stuff like that. Or less well, expensive. Not like okay. I wasn't thinking of the oh. Like the, the, um, the fame? Well, it gives you and your family and whatnot a certain position in people's minds, right? That they. Wow, how great that they are that they made a sacrifice like that, right? Now, I'm not at all trying to paint things disparagingly. I'm just looking at it very pragmatically, looking at the facts of it, okay? I do that to point out something else. Now, um, Jesus, on the other hand, he knew when he sacrificed himself that not only would people hate him despite him being willing to sacrifice himself, but they would hate him even more because of that. So, not only is he giving up everything, but the way in which he did it, there was nothing honorable in it when he did it. Why do I say there was nothing honorable in it? Okay, that's a good um, aspect to point out. Why else? Well, because Very obvious about the like situation surrounding it. Crime, right. So. He was, what we would say today, he was a felon. Right? He was tried in court, said that what? he was guilty and deserved to die. What did he do? Well, that's that, a, that's he didn't point. do anything. He was innocent. It was a false trial. It was one that was corrupt. 
and they accused him, basically he, they accused him of saying, claiming to be God, even though he wasn't. Well, he was fully God. Fully God and fully human. But they did not recognize that. They were blinded by their hate for him. If only people weren't blind. Well, that's a tough thing. And we're going to talk some more about that tonight. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 53. In the middle of your Bible, after Psalms and Proverbs, Song of Solomon. One chapter? 53. 50. Okay. And we're going to read verses 3 through 7. This is Isaiah lived um, about 500 years before Jesus did. He was a prophet. Everyone know what a prophet is? Yeah. What's a prophet, at least? The word of the Lord. Okay, what does that mean? What, is, what are they doing when they prophesy? They deliver messages from God. Yes. Okay. Real quick, how, why, how is that different from a priest? Because, because the, God talks to the prophet. It's like the triangle. It's like the, like the God tells the prophet. Priest is like the... Priest like speaks to God and God speaks to the priest. Yes. If you want to send a message to God back before Jesus came, oh. you want it, you had to send it through a priest. If you wanted to receive a message from God, you went to a prophet. It's the difference between going up or going down in a simplistic method. Okay. So this Isaiah is a prophet, not a priest. And he, um, he lives during a very wealthy time in Israel. And he is said, um, his claim to fame is he is one of the most poetic writers in the whole Bible. And this is him prophesying about Jesus and his trial and his death. So let's go ahead and read verse 3 through 7 now. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. And he was despised and esteemed him not. Okay, esteemed him not means that they didn't value him. They didn't hold him up as being great. Okay, continue. Iniquities, which means sins. The oh sorry, I chastisement. Chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray; we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of all of us. He was oppressed, and <clears throat> he was afflicted, yet he. Open not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opens 
Okay. Do you know what the real meaning of dumb is? Can't speak. Can't speak. Okay. So like somebody's deaf, they can't hear. Someone's dumb, they can't speak. Yes, but they changed the meaning to try to make it seem the same thing as stupid. Yes, yes. Words do sometimes naturally just change their meaning over time. Um, so, this, this has to do with what Gideon said. He said that Jesus did not fight against anything. He allowed them to do what they would with him. Um, and this talks about that with his stripes we are healed. What's the stripes referring to? Yes, right? You all are familiar with that, right? Mm -hmm. He was whipped before taken to the hill where they crucified him. And then um, in verse 7 it says also that he was oppressed and he was afflicted. What does it mean to be oppressed? Held as less than someone else. Yeah, viewed as okay. viewed as superior <coughs> to another group of people. Like, yep. What is that? What sin is that a result of? Pride. Pride. Okay, very good. So Isaiah paints this picture of what is going to happen in the future. And exactly this, the very specific things like the whipping, Jesus not saying a word during his trial when they are accusing him of things with lies. And then we see it carried out. Um, turn to Matthew chapter 27. While you're going there. Um, so, do you know who... who organized and sat as judges on and the lawyers at Jesus trial. Do you know who those people were? No, oh, Pilate is one of them. Pilate was the secular, the world's judge because the other group that first tried him did not have the the political power to kill him. Yeah. They were not allowed to kill anyone unless the Romans said they could. So, who, who are they? Pharisees. The first trial that Jesus is dragged to. Pharisees. Sanhedrin. Yes, their group, uh, their ruling body is called the Sanhedrin. This is after Pilate was like... No, they're before Pilate. They're, they, the, well, because didn't they send him to the, Herod, yeah, Herod first, Herod, the king was away for, Pilate was like, I don't want to deal with this, so he sent him to Herod instead, and then Herod just sent him back. Oh, okay, so it's after that. No, this is before all of that. Oh, okay. This is after they okay. take him in the garden, um, oh. temple police, they're called, oh. come Ones who like managed security for the temple came with some of the Pharisees and took him captive and took him back to um, Caiaphas's house where they hold him tr on trial. Okay. I remember. 
Why do the Pharisees want to do this before we read the next section? Jesus is taking away their power. Yes. Yes, you're right. What's what's that emotion? What's that? Fear. They're scared to lose. Okay, fear. They're scared that he's going to cause a riot on their people. He's scared that he's going to have them overthrown. Um, I, fear is an initial, but it grows into something else. Is it greed? Okay, greed is an aspect because they are losing followers. Yes. So pride is the main, I was going to say on the way, since we started at, um, what did we start at, Felicia? Fear. Jealousy. Then they're, they're jealous of him. And that's when jealousy becomes anguish, or better known as anger. Uh, yes, so then they are angry, and it's all rooted in their pride that they are no longer what who people look up to. Um, so now, Matthew chapter 27, we're going to start with verse um, 37. This is they've already taken Jesus out to Golgotha, and they have already... And, um, <clears throat> They've either they've already raised him up on a cross, and now they are going to put a sign over his head, and we're going to read the scene that plays out. So 37 through 43 now. And set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that had fire nailed him, wagging their heads. And saying thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, say thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Okay, so what is this part of the story describing to us? What is going on that a bunch of different factions, different groups of people are doing? They're mocking him, right? Some are going by like, oh, I can't believe this person. Yeah, um, it's more of that, yes, I can't believe this person or how, how foolish of them, how dumb of them to have kept doing what they were doing and almost like this is what they get. Um, so the first thing we see is that his accusation or his crime is written on a sign and put above his head, which is that Jesus is the king of the Jews. Who made that sign? Do you know? Pilate? Yep, Pilate had it made. 
Yes. Pilate thinks that he's innocent. Because his wife told him. But like, um, yes. Be because it was all about him maintaining power. He right. was afraid that they would riot if he didn't allow the the Pharisees to crucify him. He wanted them to stay in his pocket and allow and have peace. And he was also worried about Caesar back in Rome if there was an uprising taking away his seat of power there or, I don't know, put him in prison if he doesn't like how he's handling things. Caesar might kill him. Yeah, at the, at the worst um, level. Okay. And... Then we see, who do we see next who is mocking Jesus? The priest, the chief priest. Before that. Wait, after what? After the sign. It's oh, after the chronological sign. in the verses. Okay. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, this, I'm sorry, this doesn't specifically say that they were, but we know from other Gospels that the thieves were. That verse 39 is just other people who are passing by. Um, and, oh, thank you. So then we see, lastly, the chief priests, which, and then the Pharisees the scribes, elders, all those leaders who are mocking him and saying, which is the ultimate irony, right? That he saved others, but he can't save himself. But they're not even talking about souls. They're just saying he healed people from leprosy, from blindness, from illnesses. He saved them, but he can't save his own physical illness. Why is that irony? Does everyone know what irony is? Yes. Well, this is situational. Meaning right. the um, like situation is different than you expect. It's like the opposite. Right. So like, really, they're mocking him, but that's literally what he is doing at the moment. He is saving everyone because he is capable of saving himself. If he wasn't able to save himself then the sacrifice wouldn't even be valid. So, <clears throat> they rejected his most potent expression that was right before their eyes. They if that were the vial of smelling salts, or it is the vial of smelling salts, it should have woken them up right there at that moment. They, everything, all the prophecies that they had memorized, they had that, they all knew Isaiah 53. They knew all that stuff. They watched him being whipped and never thought of that. They watched his garments being gambled for, never thought of that. All these things, and never woke up to it. So here's the hardest question Maybe the hardest question ever, but the hardest question about Jesus' love, what happens to those who die refusing Jesus' love? They don't go to heaven. 
Right. Where did they go? Okay, right, that's back to our John 3.16 verse. In fact, we're going to turn back there quick. The second part um, of 16. Right, that's what happens if you accept his love. But we continue on to 17 and 18. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Okay, pause. What does it mean to condemn? Um, that's what comes next. Yes, it's a sentence, right? If you are condemned to death, that means that you are found guilty and your punishment is death. All right, verse 18 then. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Okay, so if you believe in him, then you're not guilty. No one can, can find you guilty. If you don't believe, then it says that you are already guilty. Just like we find throughout the Bible that as soon as you're born, you're guilty. Right? Everyone's born with sin. What if they're born and the first words out of their mouth were Jesus Christ? Well, that's not the case with anybody. But it doesn't matter. Before you can even say any words, you're guilty. Before you're even born, as soon as you're conceived and you're in your mother, you have sin. I mean, some people aren't born in their mother. There are a few cases where they were born in bile tubes. As soon as they come into existence. No. Yep. So, um, <clears throat> So if you are guilty then, and you're unwilling to accept the gift of life, of true life, not just your physical life, but your spiritual life through Jesus, death is the only option that you have. Why is that? What do you need... What do you need to have eternal life? What is your lifeline that keeps you alive? Even right now, what is keeping you alive? Beyond the scientific understanding that we have. God. God. Every moment, every breath that you have is because he gives it to you, right? Sometimes we forget that, right? We, especially in our scientific world that we have now where we have figured out everything or we think we have, we forget that every moment that we have is given to us by God, that he is the one who is orchestrating it all at every moment. So if, if without God we have death, it's the same thing. It's mirrored 
in spirituality, in your spirit, if you are not connected to God, if you don't have him, your spirit is dead. And that means separation from God for eternity. That seems cruel, doesn't it? Worse? Worse than hell? That's how anybody... How do people describe something if it was absolutely terrible? Have you... This is a living hell, right? This class is a living hell. It hurt like hell. That's what I said when I fell down the stairs and buckled the right here in my head. Right. So, if you take up... And obviously... We know that that's not even the worst thing that could happen to you here on earth. But read verse 19 now in the same chapter. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Okay. He brings back, this is John, um, you all know the beginning of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was... Oh, God. The Word was with God. And the Word is God. Yep. And then he goes on to talk about light, and that Jesus is is the light that comes into the darkness, and that without him no one would know any light. If... And then he brings it up again. Well, this is Jesus bringing it up again, but John writes this down. He's the one who, only one who has this story. Because John thinks about these big picture things of who Jesus is a lot and writes them down. That he talks about people that are in the world that are in darkness. How do you get darkness? means there's no light. There's an absence of light. Even this room is darker than it is during the day, right? Mm -hmm. Even with our lights on, if you were to come up here at noon and turn the lights on, even without the lights, it might be brighter than it is right now. True. So it says that men loved darkness rather than light. That means that if Jesus is the light, they loved the absence of light. They would rather it be dark, that there is no God. So if you shut out God, you can do what you want for a time. You can be in charge. You can be in charge of how you live your life, what you do. Avoid the guilt. People get to the point where they can totally block out what their conscience and what the Holy Spirit is telling them. Ignore what they know is wrong and get to a point where they feel like I am the only one who can say what is right is wrong. I can be satisfied. But that's not going to be forever. Because when Jesus comes back, he will be bring all the light that there is. There will be no dark corner, no dark spot. I don't know if you've all read. It makes me think of 
the Narnia series, if you've read the very last one, The Last Battle, when Aslan comes back, he makes the doorway on the hill there, and the one of the last um, things that happens is that there is n no more light at all. The entire world is dark because he's leaving it. He's leaving the world and taking all those who believe with him. And the only thing left are the people who didn't believe in darkness. All that to say that really the only thing that hell is, is the absence of God. Yeah, it's you. Nobody has any concept of what it is like to have the absence of God, because He's in this world. Even though there's sin and it's bad, you don't know how bad it will be. We see it get worse daily as people eliminate God from their lives, try to eliminate God from school, eliminate Him from every aspect that they can. You see things get worse and worse but we don't know how bad it can really be until he's totally gone. Anything in this world that you think that is good, that you say, wow, that's good, I liked that, that was really good. All those things are because God was in that. You look at a tree that you think is your favorite best tree ever, that's because God, that's a little bit of God. He created that. The people that that you, that are, of course, this is all if you're following God. The closer you are to God, the more you see it. All the people in your life that you think, wow, that person is awesome. I love to be around them. They make me feel great. That's an aspect of God, a light that's shining through them. That God is putting that light into them, he fills us with his love if we allow him, and that love is expressed to everybody else. So, it seems terrible that there are, that anybody would have to spend eternity without God, with the absence of God. But it's always by their own choice. It's by their own choice. Everyone is given an opportunity to find God, to find him somewhere, and to accept that. And it is by our own choice that we choose to be with him forever. All right. Thank you very much, guys.